prayer in his name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. And we want to say good morning to Pastor Patrick and his son, Joe, who will be installed today in his new pastorate. So uh, we miss you, Patrick and Kathy. Um, As we get started, if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Because this morning, I have very good news for you, if you're a believer. I have very, very good news. And we're going to explore together this wonderful and and yet some aspects uh, that are difficult in this teaching from God's Word. One that most of us often intrinsically reject because it is a difficult teaching. But it is true nonetheless. And the truth of the core 24-word sentence that we'll study this morning is the best possible promise and the most significant anchor in life that I think you could ever hope for or imagine. It is a sentence that changes everything about your life and my life. A promise upon which to securely base the entirety of your life, regardless of circumstances. In fact, I will go so far as to say You need this sentence. The sentence I'm referring to comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 28. It was written by Paul to the believers in Rome, not to unbelievers, but a message directed to and meant to educate and encourage those who are believers. So let's read it. We'll memorize it together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's just read that one more time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the holy and unchanging, infallible word of God. May he see fit to write this truth of his word. On our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help me as I try to unravel the fullness of your word this morning. Grant that I have understood it rightly and communicate it faithfully and fully. Lord, I know this morning that your words and the memories they may well evoke for some may be difficult. I beg you, Lord, send your Holy Spirit that our ears would truly hear, our minds truly understand and apply this teaching in ways that heal and that allow us to see deeper and more clearly into the depth of the riches you have planned for us. For it is in the life-saving gospel of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we trust and have our hope now forevermore. Amen. On September 15th, 1979, a family drove from New York to Maine for a vacation. At a toll booth, a 40-ton truck 
barreling at full speed, slammed into the line of cars. Witnesses said the truck splattered the line of cars, rupturing the gas tank of a car, holding a 22-month-old baby strapped into a safety seat. The car exploded into a ball of flame with the toddler screaming inside. The parents escaped, but they could not get their baby out. But a stranger reached into the flames and grabbed the child in the car seat and pulled him free. Protected by only his diaper, the baby was burned over 90% of his body with the seat's plastic fused to his skin. His mother described him as burned beyond description. He lost his ears He lost his entire left hand. He lost the fingers of his right hand and all the flesh covering his face and skull. He has undergone more than 40 painful surgeries. A 17-year-old woman enjoying the summer and friends dove into the river where they were swimming. She hit the bottom and was instantly paralyzed from the neck down. She's a quadriplegic who requires someone to help her eat, toilet, handle every single activity of daily living. Now in her 60s, she's developed advanced breast cancer and is undergoing debilitating chemotherapy. So let me ask you the question pressing on all our minds. Is God really working All things, including the trials and sufferings of these families and individuals, for good? Answering this question begs the question, who is your authority? Is it your experience, your feelings, or is it scripture and its promises? Because if you don't know and rightly understand this single sentence, if your belief system is such that somehow life is supposed to be pain-free and without struggle and suffering, your only option is disappointment, resentment, anger, and ultimately rejection of God. Those of us who minister see this all the time. But in these 24 words, Paul has given us a short course on much of the truth of Scripture. And the key to understanding this sentence is to understand the deep and connected meaning behind these words and phrases. So we're going to dissect this sort of word by word in order to plumb the fullness of this truth. And so we begin with verse 28. And we know. These first three words introduce what should give us an absolute and ultimate confidence. We know. This isn't something we speculate about or something we hope is true. Paul is emphatic here. We know it's true. 
But how? How do we know it's true? We know with certainty because it is an ironclad promise of God. Verses 29 and 30 elaborate further. We know because for those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. No exceptions there. No fine print. No, but if only you. It's an ironclad promise. Believers are foreknown. And the promise is not happenstance. We are known by the very God who created us and who's predetermined, predestined us to be like his son in his image. And that image is a very, very good one. And when he predestines us, nothing can ever change that. No accident, no circumstance. It is done. It's final. It's absolute. And that's how we emphatically, dogmatically know. That's why Paul could write those words and stand up to the scrutiny that they invited. And we know. How else do we know? Well, we are always to look at Scripture for our authority. God's inspired prophet Jeremiah wrote this. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And if you're a believer, Scripture is speaking that truth to you. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. There are no accidents. This is true sovereignty. This is not a weak will. This is a vast will that subordinates all things and destroys all opposition to accomplish his will. Next. For those who love God, this is an important qualifier. Paul is saying in these first eight words that we know something and we know it with certainty, but only for some. Not everyone. And that group is those who love God. In other words, the promise has specificity particularity and is not universal. What will follow from here on through the rest of our little study this morning is that the rest of the verse is true only for those who love God. It's conditional, if you will. It will not be true for those who do not truly love God. And what is about to unfold, the promise that's coming, is limited to those who love God, who are set apart who only want in their lives what God wants. So who is it that loves God? 
Who is Paul referring to? Well, we just read it in verses 29 and 30. He's referring to the called ones. Something that happened, as the saying goes, before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. To those who have heard the word of God and who responded to it by grace. Through faith. And that not of your doing. It is by God's grace that you have been called. Let's keep going. Another one. All things. Did did you catch that? All things. Not just some things. Not just the things we understand. Not just the things we call good. But all things. And the Greek word here, and I had to look it up, means comprehensively everything. No exceptions. All things. And this one little word, all, is the key that truly unlocks the treasure chest here. But it's something we, we don't really believe. We, we look at that and it, it doesn't seem to fit with our experience. It's not how you and I want it to be. This is not just a hope that only good things will happen in our lives. It is the certainty of belief that God will make every distress, every trial, every suffering work together for our ultimate benefit and good. You meant it for evil, Joseph said. But God meant it for good, Genesis 50. I want to be healing and sensitive here, but also unequivocally truthful. We, we want to understand these verses before before the storms of life hit us full force. And for many of us, they already have. And so we can use this as the lens with which to interpret what's happened to us. To, to look out backwards in our lives and, and forwards in what's to come. And to understand it. And you and I know, this is, a, this is a mature congregation. You and I know that we are more shaped, I'll say, by the trials and sufferings we've been through than for the good things, the happy things that come and go. In fact, we are sanctified by these trials, just as fire purifies gold. It's a truth, hard as it is, that God uses our suffering to accomplish His purposes. I've sometimes been shocked when a believing patient, and I've often thought, <clears throat> their belief is greater than mine, to walk with them, to journey with them side by side through awful physical calamities, only to come through it and have them say to me, I pray with my patients, I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Such is the power of God's sanctification. So why does Paul say all things when we consider the things we have seen and experienced? 
Remember, he's encouraging and building up the believers. He's aware of what's going to come in their lives. Indeed, what's happened in his own life. Hunger. Prison. Cold. Nakedness. Beatings. Something probably none of us have suffered. Listen to what he says just a a few sentences later by way of explanation in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things that have happened? These horrible things. If God is for us, who can be against us? You can you can feel him clinging to that rock. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the viewpoint of heaven. This is not culture's viewpoint. This is not what you'll see on TV. This is what you read in Scripture and by grace will experience in your lives. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can possibly condemn you? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and is now at the right hand of God, who is right now interceding perpetually for us. Who should separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Indeed, it is even written for your sake. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, he said, we are more than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Did you hear these words, these, these precious words of promise? Paul is acknowledging the hard truths of living here in Babylon and that believers will in fact face these trials. But we will never be separated from God's love. What's different here for the believer is the outcome. Not the means. It's the outcome. And this you must keep in mind. All things will work together to the good of the believer. But that won't be true for the non-believer. And for that we grieve. Everything that happens in my life, in your life, God will, sometimes in ways only He understands, which makes no sense in the here and now, use them, redeem them for our good, for our ultimate benefit. And that is to shape us for one purpose. What is the outcome of all this that will work together for good? It is because to become conformed to the image of Christ. And for every one of us believers here, 
that will happen. You and I will be conformed to the image of Christ. And we will one day look at God. It's hard to even say it. Face to face. That is our reward. Does this all things include cancer? Does it include heart disease? Injury? Death? Abandonment? People who wound us deeply? Yes. Yes and yes. All things. God tells us we can what we can plainly read and understand here. It is all things, no exceptions. Let's keep moving. Next phrase in the verse. Work together for good. Paul is emphasizing this, that God will make all things work together for good. But you say, come on. You're, you're a physician. You've seen the worst of human pain and suffering. And indeed I have for over 40 years. And some, sometimes I have to tell you, it doesn't make sense to me. If I view it through my eyes, the eyes of a human who cannot see across time, across circumstances, eyes that are sometimes so focused inward, I can't see upward. How is God going to take job loss or the death of a precious child or cancer and use it for anyone's good? I've had to struggle with this because I get asked this question in the consult room. How is any of that kind of horror good for anyone? I've come to the realization that that question is the wrong nuance. It's the wrong nuance. The verse says, He will work all things together for our good. He is in control. But some of the tragedies of life in the here and now, in the final sense, we are truly unable to see, to understand, or, or to articulate. Our, our vision is too clouded. Our acuity too limited. But I do see a part of the answer as I've struggled with this that explains why this promise is so difficult for us to believe. And I, I want to share it with you. If you want to, skip ahead to Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Paul writes this. Same author, same God, inspiring him. For now, we see in a mirror, dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, I don't understand it all, Paul is saying. But I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What Paul is explaining is that we don't see well on this side. It's like looking into a, a fogged up mirror. We have a, bought a condo in 
whoever owned it before us has a mirror installed in the in the shower. Frankly, I'd rather the mirror not be there. <laughs> but I often look at the mirror and I say, why did somebody put it there? It's always fogged up. You can't see anything if, if you wanted to. You can see no fine details, which is a good idea in my case. <laughs> we can only make out some vague details. But one day, when we are taken up to heaven, and we are there with Jesus, and only then, we will see as clearly, Paul says, as if we were looking face to face. And Paul goes on to say that right now, we know only or see only in part. But we will see in full. That is, we will see God's plan for us. I'm going to try an analogy on you that I found very helpful. And I think clarifies. It comes from Corrie Ten Boom, the young woman who, with her family, hid Dutch resistance fighters and Jews Eventually, she and her family were caught. They were sent to the, the Nazi extermination camps, and she's the only one that survived out of her family. Jean and I have been in her house, and we stood in the very closet where they were hidden. She was a passionate believer, by the way. She said this, Think of a needle point. Here on this side, in our earthly existence, we see the back of the needle point. It's loose threads, knots that make no sense. The colors don't match. There's no discernible pattern. What does it mean? You cannot tell. But one day, one glorious day, for those who love him, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to, so to speak, take that needle point and turn it around. And we, like Job, are going to go in amazement because it's a beautiful picture. And in an instant, all the pain, all the suffering, our brains will go faster than we can even control the thought. Of course. Of course it had to be that way. Or this picture would never have been formed. Such is the strength of the plan God has for you and I. It had to be his way. Paul's working hard here to give us corrective lenses with which to see and interpret the world as God means it to be. We have senses and perceptions of the world that are fundamentally flawed because they are distorted by sin. We tend to believe what we feel, what we see, what we think, seemingly unaware and forgetting that what we see is distorted. But Paul tells us the truth. He tells us that if we had the corrective lenses of Scripture, of understanding God's way, we would see clearly, we would see with clarity, that God will indeed work all things together for our good. This is so important, Paul repeats it in slightly different words. This same message in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, and verses 17 and 18. Now, now imagine this. I know what some of you have been through. 
I know what I've been through. I know what my patients have been through. Think of the worst of it. And Paul says this because it's the truth. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us. He's turning the needle point, so to speak. An external weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, he says, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things, he says, that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen, he says, are eternal. The religious philosopher Nicholas Westerstorff said this as he thought about the effect of suffering. I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps, he said, I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. And so it is with all of us. The lens of suffering lets us see differently. The ancient Greek philosopher Aeschylus said this about suffering. He who learns must must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. It means awful in a different way than we tend to think of it. And it is in that grace of God that we find out that Jesus was right. We must indeed lose our lives to save them. Moving on, all things will work together for good, but for who? This is a crucial piece of the puzzle that we have to understand in order for this to make sense. And I'm sorry, the guy who teaches Sunday school is going to get upset with me. I'm going a little long. He says it in verse 28, for those who are called according to his purpose. Who's that? It's the elect. That's that's you and I. All that we've talked about so far is limited to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, for those who have placed their trust in him. For those who love him. Verse 29 again, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This purpose Paul is telling us about is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The lens is this. All things don't just happen to work out for our good. Rather, God providentially works all things together for good for his people who are called according to his purpose. In other words, we must live his way, not our way. Any of you have read the 
Author Marlena Graves, she said it this way. We must be God intoxicated, God haunted and following hard after Christ. She evokes it in six or seven words. But we who claim Christ must walk not by what we see, but by faith. We're to run to the place Christ bids us to go. Him. His word, his cross. The truth is that everyone who follows Jesus and who calls him savior, who believes on him, is eventually called into hard and hurting places. That is why so many have written that faith is a blessing disguised as a curse. Again, Marlena Graves, while theophanies and divine epiphanies regularly occur, so do unimaginable times of depression and despair. This is the narrow way Christ promised on that road to glory. All things. So those stories that I told you about at the beginning of our time together, they're real people and real events. The 17-year-old girl who became quadriplegic, she has a name. It's Johnny Erickson Tata. Because of that accident, she has a powerful ministry with both able and disabled people. But now in her 60s, she has, unfortunately, a very advanced and aggressive breast cancer. Jean and I heard her powerful testimony just two years ago at the Ligonier Conference. And if you can imagine, in the midst of her pain and suffering, she said this, I've had a ministry to disabled people for many years and then smiling in only the way she can. Now I have a ministry to people with cancer. When people ask her why God <clears throat> allows suffering, she says, think of this faith. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. That's true for every one of us here who believe. That child in the horrible car accident, his name is Joel Sonnenberg. Joel graduated from Taylor University, where I had the privilege of sitting on the board of trustees. I wrote this sermon several weeks ago before I knew that our good friends, Dr. Jean and Mary Lou Habecker, we're going to be here. Jean is the past president of the American Bible Society and the past president of Taylor University. That's part of why I'm being choked up. I met Joel, and I had the opportunity to talk with him and to hear his testimony. He went on to graduate from seminary and has a powerful ministry. He described his life. I tried to show you a picture primarily because of the shock value of it. He described his life. Are you ready for this? If only I had this faith. He described it as a Cinderella story. God gave him a ministry I can't have. 
He said that even if he had the chance to undo this horrible accident and have a normal body, he wouldn't do it. He said faith and has faith that he is exactly as God wants him to be. And he has already seen some of the evidence that God is working all things together for his good. Could you describe that as a Cinderella story? Possibly. But only if by his grace you believed, really believed, that the word of God was so powerful in your life that the truth of Romans 8, 28 was burned, burned deeper into your heart than the flames of any car accident could ever be. So let me summarize quickly. For those who love God, the following is true. First, we know. We can be absolutely certain. We are not left guessing. Second, everything in our lives, no exceptions, will work to our eternal good. Third, we are known by God. He calls us. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. He glorifies us. And He promises He will take this lump of clay and mold it into His Son's image. Tim Keller said it better than I can say it, so I'm going to just say it. He said, number one, bad things will turn out for our good in the long run. Number two, good things can never be lost. And here's the hope for you and I to cling on to. The best things are yet to come. My fellow sojourners, the way to Christ is costly. It would be unfair and unjust of me to say otherwise. We endure bad things while on this earthly journey. But they are unavoidable if we are going to be shaped into his image. These, are, these sufferings are instruments used to shape us for good and a glory inexpressible in human words. It's true. Brother and sister, the best is yet to come. Lord Jesus, we have sought to understand this sentence from your word. Help us, Lord, to apply it. Grant us peace, Lord, as we go through hard things, confident that you will use it for our good. Grant to us the lens of your word rather than the distorted vision of our own understandings. And finally, Lord, given the beauty and reassurance of this teaching, cause us to be bold in proclaiming your saving word to others. For only bad can come to those who do not believe and only good to those who do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please join us for Sunday School. Dr. Greg will be teaching Sunday School immediately in the, in the Fellowship Hall afterwards. Final hymn, day by day. Stand with me.
and with these passing moments, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's life I've no cause for worry or for fear. He kind beyond all measure. Gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure. Mingling so that by the power of His Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Go now, each of you, into your mission field, remembering that we live Coram Deo before the very face of God.